Well, hey guys, uh, I'm David, in case we haven't met, and I normally don't sound like a congested frog, so sorry about that, <clears throat> but we're just going to go for it. Sound good? Um, I'm going to make an assumption tonight um, about you that, um, that I think is true. Um, if it's not, uh, I'm sorry, you can just tune me out for the rest of the night, and that's fine. Um, I'm coming from a basic assumption tonight that every person in this room has questions. And I don't mean like silly questions, I mean like deep, gut-wrenching, heart, life questions about life and faith. Uh, I don't think that you'd be here if you didn't. And honestly, this is where I'm at as well. Um, I constantly have uh, just a, a slew of thoughts and questions kind of rolling around in my head. So I'm a journaler, so I can try to get all those down in one place. Um, this day and age, um, I, really, I believe that we all have questions. And really, it's just a matter of where we go for answers to those. Where do we go? Um, this day and age, certainly, we have lots of options, um, especially thanks to the internet. I mean, we have uh, the whole world at our fingertips. Just think of Wikipedia, as Michael Scott so famously said. Wikipedia is the best thing ever. Anyone in the world can write anything they want about any subject, so you know you are getting the best possible information. Uh, in actuality, we do use the internet quite a bit uh, to get uh, even deep life questions answered. Um, this is a graphic of the top uh, term or question searched um, related to life morality or, um, and religion based on Google survey data from 2016 and 2017. Um, Louisiana's is funny, um, and, uh, but there are lots of serious ones on here as well. Um, so, Illinois, the question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Like, that is a serious question to ask the internet, wouldn't you say? Um, Mississippi, you see it says, is God real? Um, New Hampshire, what happens when you die? That's a pretty serious question as well. Florida, what's my purpose in life? Like, that's a question I think probably all of us have asked at one point or another. You, you know, we all ask these questions. Um, if you're here, it probably means um, you at least are making an attempt at holding up your questions about life, death, and um, purpose through the lens of faith. Um, which if you've been here long enough, you've gathered means consulting the Bible. And this is because in CSF we believe in the authority of Scripture, or more practically put, um, we believe that when asking questions of life and faith, the Bible is where we go. Um, but anyone that has read the Bible for any length of time um, can uh, attest to the fact that um, we, can't, we, we can't treat the Bible as Google, really, right? Um, we can't very successfully just um, ask a random question and open the Bible and expect like an answer to just like pop out of the pages um, for us. Um, this isn't to diminish that sometimes the Holy Spirit works in this way. Um, maybe you've heard of a story of someone praying uh, for God to give guidance and they randomly open their Bible and the passage speaks directly to their situation. Maybe you've experienced that. Um, I know I have on occasion, but more often, if not most of the time, if we're honest, what usually happens is, uh, you know, 
you, you pray, you know, you put your question in the search bar, if you will. You pray, and you're flipping through the pages. Maybe the question is like, um, do I, should I break up with my girlfriend, or should you break up with your boyfriend? And so you turn the pages, and, you know, you, you put your finger down, and you read, and the text says something like Judges 421, you know. She picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe this is what you were looking for. <laughs> um, but... But if we're honest, like, it's just not very helpful, right? Because the Bible is not Google. So why would we go to the Bible for our questions about life and faith? I mean, after all, your friends and professors might be quick to point out um, that it was written by flawed people, or they may say that it contradicts itself, it's inconsistent, or that its morality and ethics are just too outdated for today. But I think the question isn't so much about the text itself. It's really a question primarily about God in relation to the text. When we ask, should we go to the Bible to get our questions answered about life and faith? Uh, these other questions are important, but I wonder if what we're really asking is, do we actually believe that God speaks? Do we believe that God speaks and that he does so through the Bible? Uh, tonight we're going to take a look at 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17, and my hope is that as we look at this text together, we can humbly explore the answer to this question, maybe even discover its practical and far-reaching implications for our lives. So I want to pray before we open the scriptures together. Let's do that. Father, we want to say thanks for the chance to be together. Thanks to be able to worship you. Thanks for your word. Thank you that um, we can wrestle with this together um, in your grace. And Lord, we pray for your wisdom. We pray that you would speak to us and guide us. Um, we trust you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, in Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 17, we jump into a letter from Paul who's writing to a disciple of his named Timothy. And Timothy is tasked with working with the leaders of the church in Ephesus to help the church there remain faithful to what they'd been taught from God's word about the good news of Jesus. What was developing in and around the church in Ephesus was a twisting of the scriptures from which Paul was preaching. New ideas were being shared and people were being convinced that the truth they had come to believe was no longer enough for them. The nature of this new belief system was a little hard to specify. In essence, it discredited, discredited the scriptures, but took on lots of different forms. Um, 18th century English theologian J.B. Lightfoot's description is helpful. He says, floating speculation, vague theories, coalescing gradually to a great consistency and tendency, more or less in one direction. In other words, no one exactly knew what they believed. Instead, they just knew it was heading in a different direction than the Christianity that Paul was preaching. Maybe we can relate a little to this. We mostly live in a culture, and especially on a college campus, where everyone is too diverse to have a single view of life and faith. But more and more, the consensus is that whatever the truth is, it's in a different direction than Christianity. Sometimes people, friends, professors, parents can be a little belligerent about it, too, um, saying this truth you think you know 
isn't really true. Maybe you even get called names, certainly not openly, but passively, maybe in side comments or in social media posts. You're idiotic, you're bigoted, um, you know, you're closed-minded. It makes the question that we're asking all the more relevant. Like, man, is this really true? Like, can I really trust this even when the people around me don't trust it? And really, this isn't new. Like, this isn't a new thing. The, you'd need to multiply the belligerence by a ton to understand the opposition that the early church was facing for their faith. Paul says it's normal for believers to experience this. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 13 describes it. It says, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Paul says this is simply what it means to live a life of faith. It includes facing opposition. Paul um, is essentially on death row when he's writing this letter for his faith. But he says, while it was true in Timothy's day that they were going to face persecution and opposition, there were also people that were seeking to undermine the good news of Jesus. How? He says they were deceiving. They were deceiving. The Oxford definition of deceive is to cause someone to gain, uh, to cause someone to believe something that is not true, typically in order to gain some personal advantage. So they were distorting the truth. And the impact of it was that they themselves had diminishing faith and ethics to show for it. They were deceiving and being deceived. They were going from bad to worse. I wonder, have you ever had someone who uh, tried to convince you to do something, but maybe in that moment or later, like you realize that they didn't really care about you at all? I think this is why we don't like door-to-door salesmen at all. <laughs> um, so it, it's just because they're trying to sell us something. For us, it is home security systems at our house. For the love, I know that everyone has to make, make a living, but please, for the love, please stop coming to our house. And the reason is simply because I haven't met one yet who I can tell genuinely cares about the safety of my family. Like, they're just trying to sell me something. And I think, evidently, Paul is encouraging Timothy to look out for these teachers for the same reason. They're putting a truth different from the scriptures forward, and their impure motives are shown through the diminishing returns that that faith, that truth, is bringing back to their lives. And I think this is a good challenge for us as well, as we think about who we put our trust in to teach us about faith. It's also a little sobering if you are a teacher um, at all of the scriptures. As I mentioned before, we think about this, I think we trust the internet quite a bit, for better or for worse. We also put a lot of trust culturally. We put a lot of faith in experts, people with degrees behind their names, which isn't necessarily bad. Uh, I grew up with a dad who has a PhD in sports administration and physical education. He was a university professor for 20 years or so, and I know that he put in like a ton of work to be an expert in his field, and he deserves my respect for that. And I do respect him because of that. But I don't call him up first for information 
about how to coach my son's basketball team or about my latest sports injury just because he's an expert in his field. No, like I could ask anyone, like there are lots of people around with that knowledge. No, he is my first call because not only does he have a wealth of information and knowledge, but I also know that he loves me and he cares deeply about me. And so that's why he's my first call. And, and he actually, um, in our family, like this was ingrained in our family. And actually Tad alluded to this last week as well. Just because someone is an expert in their field or has a degree behind their name does not mean that they are trustworthy people with pure motives who love you. We have to be discerning about this when we're looking for people, when we're listening to people who are talking about the scriptures, uh, because anyone can do it. Like, anyone can talk about the scriptures, and lots of people do, even people with degrees behind their names. A good way to tell if they're trustworthy as they're talking about scriptures, look at their ethics. Like, look at their lives. Like, Paul is saying, you know, they were going from bad to worse. He says they were deceiving. They were characterized by deceit when they were preaching the word. I'd suggest that some other, and this is just me, um, I would suggest that some other markers um, would include patterns of excessive anger or cynicism, um, snark, arrogance, um, sarcasm, maybe putting other people down. Like these are marks of people that are not showing genuine love. They're not showing the love of God as they're trying to talk about the love of God. And so we have to um, be wise about this, and certainly we have to still show them love and Christian respect and listen, um, but maybe not listen quite as closely. And sometimes these people are teachers um, and preachers and authors, um, but we still just need to be discerning about that because they have impure motives. And Paul highlights a different way in this text. He says in verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. He says, continue, remain, endure in what you firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it. Now, this doesn't answer the question of why we go to the Bible for questions of life and faith so much as the how and from whom do we learn the scriptures. Um, the scriptures are supposed to be passed on so that more people can know God um, for themselves, not from people deceiving, twisting the truth of the scriptures. The pattern is trustworthy people who pass it on to trustworthy people, who pass it on, who pass it on, and it keeps going. For Timothy, we know he learned about faith from his mother and his grandmother and Paul, uh, people who knew the scriptures well. Certainly, Paul had remarkable credentials, but Timothy's family and Paul clearly loved him and cared about him as well, and this is the pattern, again, that Paul highlights for how the truth of the gospel from the scriptures are to be passed on. It's trustworthy people passing it on, to trustworthy people who pass it on and pass it on. And I wonder if you have people like that in your story. Verse 15, it says, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Maybe even right now, think about who are the people that taught you uh, about the scriptures for your salvation? The trustworthy people who taught you. Maybe it was your family or friends, or maybe it was a mentor. Or if you don't have a faith background and you're still learning about this Jesus thing, like who are the people that invited you um, to ask some more questions or helped you through your questions? Um, take a minute right now. It's, it's on, the, on your announcement sheet. You can write down a couple names. Like who are those people for you? And as you think about those, I want you in the next 24 hours um, 
to thank them. Like, whether it's a phone call, I don't know if anyone does that anymore, or, or text them, or email, or whatever, write them a letter, but in some way, like, thank them for, uh, for doing that for you. It's a big deal. For me, it was my mom and my dad. Uh, when I went to college at UIS, it was Todd and Gretchen, the campus ministers. It was my friend Matt in CSF. Um, after college, when I went to seminary, it was Danelle Franklin and Pete Vercruzzi were the people that really helped me with the scriptures. So this is how the truths of scripture are passed on. It's the goal being salvation through faith in Christ, which changes everything. Uh, but that's still not quite enough, though, for our question here, is that we still need to determine the why. Like, why do we use this to get our questions of life and faith answered? And let's read on for that. First Timothy three sixteen and 17. It says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Okay, so there is a lot here. <laughs> uh, my first question, maybe uh, it's a question that you have as well when reading this, is what is all Scripture? Like, what is all Scripture? Clearly, they didn't have this. The printing press wasn't even invented till the mid-1400s. So I'm going to summarize a lot of history in a very short amount of time, and this breaks my brain a little bit as a, with a history background to do this, but I'm still going to do it. So the Bible is a complex collection of narratives, letters, biographies, genealogy and, genealogies, and a host of other things that were passed down in oral and written form over the years. By the time Paul is writing this letter, there's a general consensus of the first 39 books of the Bible, the Old Testament, um, of what those were at that time. For the New Testament, we can look to the writers themselves to help flush this out. Um, Paul actually quotes Luke 10, 7 and 1 Timothy 5, uh, 18. So clearly, the written records of the statements of Jesus, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were already being treated as scripture. And we can also see in 1 Peter 3, uh, 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16, that Peter refers to Paul's writings as scripture. So at a very early date, the New Testament books, either written or authorized by Christ's apostles, were already recognized as God's word. Now, Though there was a general agreement that existed, there was a history of disputes over some books that arose, and since they didn't have internet or phones, amongst other reasons, it took a little while for this to get flushed out. But by A.D. 393, um, records, in, records indicate that the 27 New Testament books that we have now were affirmed at the Third Synod of Carthage, which was initiated by Augustine. Now, again, obviously, I'm summarizing a lot of history, but seriously, like, if you want to know, if you want to learn more, all, like, all you need is a good study Bible. Like, get an ESV or an NIV study Bible. They have articles in the backs of these on all sorts of topics, and they have scholars that write these things. And so if you want a summary of some of these things, just find one of these, buy one, um, and you can explore this stuff for yourselves. Um, I also, on the announcement sheet, I've included a couple books that um, can be pretty helpful on this topic, so if you really wanna dig in a little bit more, check those out, um, they're pretty good. So for us though, the short version is that we can be confident in knowing that we have all scripture with us here and now, which is amazing. Like we can access it on our phones, like through the YouVersion app, and we can access it on the internet through places like BibleGateway.com. Uh, you know, if you want a print Bible, um, we have those here. Like you can take one with you for free. It's our gift to you, grab one 
Um, you can even get up in the middle of this. I don't care. Like, it's a free gift for you. But what's even more amazing than the fact that we have it is what Paul says next. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. This is an incredible theological statement with huge implications. Huge implications. And honestly, um, deeply personal um, for me. This is not some theological statement for, for me. I, I hope this would be the case for you too. Not just something like shove in my back pocket for the next time I'm talking to someone else. It's not about that at all. Uh, my first reaction in reading this passage is honestly an immense sense of relief. Like God himself speaks. He's not silent. He's not silent now. He speaks to us in the midst of our questions, in the midst of the things that we have right now. Like God wants to be present with us. And that's amazing um, good news. Um, he's here to help. Um, now, certainly, um, <laughs> certainly for the skeptics in the room, um, God speaking through Scripture is uh, pretty difficult to quantify, and it's true. Like, Paul's is a statement of faith. But my challenge to you would just, would just be not to stand on the sidelines, like mired in skepticism, but to actually give it a try, to actually read it and see to hear if God speaks, um, to give it a shot. The implications of Paul's statement are also a little sobering, too, because if the God of the universe speaks to us, and he has chosen Scripture as one of the primary ways to do so, then that means that it's authoritative, because God's voice is authoritative, and God himself is authoritative. Of course, God can speak through other ways, um, lots of other ways. That is a whole nother talk than tonight. But the challenge with these, whether it's things like thoughts, feelings, circumstances, dreams, whatever, it's sometimes hard to tell like what is from God and what isn't. Um, you know, like it's hard to figure out if that one thought is actually from God or just random or if that feeling is um, God's Holy Spirit or just the massive Qdoba burrito I ate the night before. You know, it's hard to figure that out. But with the scriptures, we can trust that they are all breathed out by God. There's certainly still work to do to interpret them, of course, but they're authoritative. And we believe this in CSF, uh, the authority of scripture, as have God's people throughout history. It's clear in the Old Testament, for example, in Psalm 119, where the call is not just to listen to God's word for the sake of study, but to love it. Verse 47 says, I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. They loved God's word. It was the voice of God himself. Jesus would have known and recited these same psalms, and certainly his life reflected the same love for God's word. He knew them. He memorized them. He modeled this attitude for those around him, and so we follow him in that, and Paul did as well. Paul says God speaks, and he does so through the scriptures, and he explains why. It says all scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The purpose of God speaking through the Bible is not for endless arguments about it or just to know it. It is not for that purpose. 
We don't spend all of our time just reading the Bible and hearing it from trustworthy people. That's not enough. We read so that we are taught, challenged, trained for every good work God wants us to do. The call is to actually do something with it. It's obedience. The cause, we would love it. We, would, we love it so we can live it. We love it so we can live it. And this is what Jesus did. In fact, Scripture points out that Jesus is the perfect example of God's will lived out, God's voice lived out. John 1.14 says he is the word become flesh. So again, why do we go to the Bible? It's because God speaks, and he does so through all Scripture. And since he is our authority, we follow him by loving and knowing the Scriptures so we too can live them out like him. And I love seeing how this is already happening in our community. I know that um, Adam and Kelsey are reading through the Bible in a year, which is awesome. I heard um, Estelle mention that she and some friends are reading a psalm per day, I think. Um, And Abby and Faith, I think, are reading through Revelation right now. I'm so excited about that because I know that you're being formed through that. Like, I'm confident you would have stories of, like, how God is already speaking to you through that and helping you grow in your faith. I think that's awesome. Um, if, if you're here and uh, maybe you've never read the Bible before or it's been a while, uh, I, as we've talked about before, just take the first 15 challenge, the first 15 minutes of your day to read and to pray. If you don't know where to start, um, I'd highly recommend the book of John. Uh, just read a chapter a day of John or just find a plan on version. They have lots of plans on lots of different topics um, that you can use for that. Super helpful. If you want some tips for how to study difficult passages, our small group curriculum um, is designed to help you with that, to give you the tools that you need. And certainly, reading the Bible in community is super helpful um, in, in lots of ways. There is <laughs> there's so much more that we could talk about on this topic. So many things, uh, so many questions aren't addressed um, on this. But this is really my primary hope for our community. And really what gets me so excited um, is that we would love the scriptures so we could hear God's voice. We would love the scriptures so that we could hear God's voice and live out what he calls us to do. He died and resurrected not so that he would be distant from us. He did it. He gave us the Bible as a gift because he wants to come in close. He's not silent. He's present and he loves us and he's speaking. And the call is just for us. We just have the call to listen. We need to be listening. And that's the question for us. So I want to pray and ask for God's help in that. Jesus, we are grateful that you love us and for how um, in real tangible ways you show that through your word. And we know you show that through lots of ways. Um, Father, um, pray for your help to um, recognize the magnitude of the gift that we have of your word. Um, the fact that you have spoken, um, that you desire to speak to us. And it's just a matter of if we want to listen or not. And I pray as a community um, that you'd help us to, um, or not as a, not as like a guilt trip or anything like that, but really just that um, you'd help us to see this gift that is right in front of us um, and to push through whatever obstacles and barriers keep us from it. Um, help us to read, help us to be disciplined when it's hard, Help us to find other people to read with um, and help us to um, not just read for the sake of knowing. Lord, help us read for the sake of obedience um, to follow you, Lord. In you, we know we find life and love. And so um, we thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.